Hello, and welcome back to Bachelor Therapy Hour. I'm Sarah. And I'm Joseph. <laughs> Very satisfying. And we are a pair of married mental health professionals hosting weekly therapy sessions to conceptualize all of the riveting interpersonal dynamics on each week's Bachelor franchise show. So welcome back. We actually took a, a week off last week in um, observance of Thanksgiving, but really just because we were traveling and didn't have time <laughs> to record. Oops. Um, but we had a lovely hometown stay in uh, New Jersey and New York. Um, and now we're back in Indianapolis and we are ready to dive in because there's a lot to dissect. Um, Happy Hanukkah to all of our fellow Jewish listeners. We just Woo! ate some delicious latkes. Yes, and... we did. And we lit some candles. <laughs> of course, we lit our candles. And now we're ready to settle down and get cozy and talk about The Bachelor. Whoa. All right. So I think we should start by following up on a couple of loose threads that we mentioned in the last episode. Um, we talked about how Tasha and Zach were reportedly on a break last episode, and they uh, soon confirmed their actual breakup. Um, so that's a bummer. It's uh, it's always sad to hear that people who you thought were happy were maybe not doing as well, and it's pretty tough to go through a breakup anytime, but especially I think during the holiday season. So we wish them all the best. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing to add, on that Nothing one. To add other than, yeah. We are going to talk about breakups today. So, um, and then Katie, who broke up with her ex fiance Blake from her season, is now dating John, a man she eliminated week two from her season. Um, and she announced this in this very splashy Instagram story video. Um, it was all a little, uh, shall we say, um, gauche. <laughs> and um, I really felt for Blake to have that kind of thrust in his face um, so soon after their breakup. So that's, as she was saying, 12 Days of Messy was pretty messy. Um, but we'll end on a high note. Astrid and Kevin, uh, for Bachelor in Paradise fans, they were on a couple seasons ago. They welcomed a baby recently, and they shared that they um, were having fertility problems, so they went through IVF, and they um, gave birth to a healthy baby. So, congratulations to them. Whoa, I don't think I've ever heard of the name Astrid. Astrid, yeah. Huh. Yeah. She Sounds like something people would name their kids these days. <laughs> yeah. Not, not back in the day. <laughs> There's a whole, like, storyline at some point on The Office about someone named Astrid who they call Astrid. Asturd. <laughs> well, you but know, they got teased. They were both, like, very down-to-earth, normal people, and it was really nice to see them connect, and they've been kind of out of the limelight since then, so. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think I'm familiar with them. Yeah, Kevin was a firefighter from Canada. I can't remember if Astrid was Canadian as well, but he was definitely Canadian. Um, you looking at the picture? Oh, yeah. He kind of looks like Tom Brady. A little bit. Like five percent of Tom Brady, but that's significant. <laughs> well, maybe his child will look like Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in this episode, um, we're going to be talking about kind of the two most recent episodes, not beat by beat, but more thematically. Um, 
So we'll pull in some things from the last episode in Minnesota, um, which was where uh, Clayton had a one-on-one, where he was eliminated, um, Rick was eliminated, Mark Mm -hmm. was eliminated, Illuminae, so it was kind of like... Got them all out. Yeah, a little bit of a bloodbath there. We got down to the top four who were in hometowns last week, which is the most recent episode that aired. And so our remaining men are, well, at the beginning of the episode, we had Rodney, Brandon, Nate, and Joe. Um, So we'll talk Mm -hmm. about uh, the team. So you wanted to talk about breakups. I did. Yeah. Did I? Luckily, we've. (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i was just thinking about breakups and um how our reactions may reflect kind of our early um points of disconnection especially with our our main um, parental figures um and even um you know, some of those early um, separations from significant people like friends and um, even early like romantic relationships and mm-hmm. how those kind of set the foundation um, that, you know, into the future as we're adults, we, you know, we kind of maybe react in a similar way and respond to, to breakups in a similar way. And so I think we had brought up, um, well, with Rodney, you know, her, you know, Michelle, ending their relationship and how he reacted um, to that versus, say, um, somebody else. Like, who, who did you get named from who had, like, a more kind of um, <laughs> sour reaction, I guess? Martin. Martin, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, yeah, that was just some thoughts. I guess we were watching that happen to Rodney, which was really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But just kind of seeing how his reaction was much different um, than Martin's. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about, who do you want to talk about first? Maybe we can start with Martin because that's kind of an unhealthy <laughs> reaction. Yeah, I don't know if I would use the word unhealthy, yeah. but it's just more of, um, it's just more uh, something to dif- it's difficult to deal with both as the person who is experiencing that, um, you know, the person who's, got broken up with but also the person who's breaking up with them because it can p- feel really um well you can feel like degraded or not valued or um you know some things like that yeah i think maybe a better word is a more immature like when we talk sure. about yeah. defenses too we talk yeah. about more mature defenses um yeah. and then kind of less adaptable adaptive like yeah. more immature defenses yep and in a breakup which is obviously a very difficult um experience and one that can make you experience some really negative thoughts about your beliefs about yourself yeah um that's a situation where you almost certainly activate some defenses to help protect yourself from yeah um you know the negative experience which we all do and that's actually a healthy thing to do to protect our ego in a way but there are varying kind of levels of mm-hmm. ways to um engage defenses um and what we see martin do is really use or heavily rely on splitting as a defense mechanism mm-hmm. 
Um, how would you define this wedding? Yeah, so I think we might have talked about this before, but it's just kind of this tendency to devalue and idealize kind of in, in kind of in extremes. Um, you know, someone, say, a romantic partner and you know might start like you know this is the best person for me this person is a great this person is you know amazing and they're everything i wanted and then when things kind of go awry and there's some indications or even just a perception of you know rejection or abandonment to come to you know that's coming soon um then there's kind of this flip to the other side and it's like this person is absolutely terrible they're, they're evil maybe they're you know they're and then you can might even see um in Barton's case, um, kind of the use of like a narcissistic defense, like I, I'm too good for her, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm um, you know, I can do better than her. Um, exactly. She so. was never right for me. Yeah. You know, I just recalled when we talked about splitting, we were talking about it in reference to Jamie, Martin's old pal, Jamie, who also we discussed yeah. being, having, you know, pretty profound narcissistic features. Um and for Martin, the splitting is very much, as you said, you know, he went from Michelle is not like other women. She's special in this way. Yeah. You know, yeah. She's showing me special attention. Um, and then as soon as she rejects him, it's, you know, she was never right for me. I'm better than she is. Like, she did me a favor by, yeah. you know, um, letting me go because, you know, I'm so much better than she is. and. You know, we talk about this as kind of like splitting using more psychodynamic terms or mm -hmm. even in more cognitive terms. It's just splitting is a form of very black and white thinking. Yeah. Someone is yeah. all good and then they're all bad. When yep. they do something yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's a lack of nuance there. So. Yeah. Not really seeing those shades of gray. Yeah. Whereas Rodney has a very, um, you know, genuine and nuanced reaction which is you know I'm really hurt and I you know was falling in love with you and those feelings are not going to go away yeah but that doesn't mean that I hate you because you hurt me yeah and it also doesn't mean that I'm never going to get over it and exactly I, you're the only one who I would ever have these feelings for yeah so he's able to kind of reconcile like this hurts this experience hurts but you're not a bad person mm -hmm. because yeah um you know relationship didn't work yeah that's a, a really great point you know i was just kind of thinking about things also in cognitive terms when we're we're talking about you know terrible things that happen to us um maybe early on in our lives we kind of set we kind of develop these core beliefs like you know i'm not worthy i'm not, i'm unlovable i'm not attractive um no one wants me and then when we experience something like that again um those core beliefs can kind of be activated and then we have like those automatic thoughts you know, that come into our mind that are really just really um, self-denigrating, very critical. Um. Yeah. And something that Michelle actually referenced during um, her hometown date with Rodney and Rodney's parents was that she felt that they had something in common mm -hmm. in that they they held some of those similar core beliefs about themselves. Like Michelle yeah. said, yeah. you know, I always saw myself as being overlooked. And Rodney has shared mm -hmm. that he has felt the same way, that yeah. he's always kind of the underdog. He's maybe appreciated for his sense of humor, but isn't really looked at as like a viable romantic partner. And so that was something that they connected on. And she very intuitively and sensitively kind of 
preempts that during the breakup and says, like, I know you, this might make you feel like you're not enough, but you are enough. Yeah. Because she can yeah. really take his perspective and see it like my, you know, I think yeah. she can say, like, my automatic thought would be, of course this is happening because I'm yeah. never gonna, good enough for anyone. Yeah. That would be kind of the lens that you would have if you have that core belief. Like, yeah. of course I was never going to be good enough for the bachelorette. And she's able to kind of... Um, I guess give him some reassurance that, you know, yeah. that he, it's not necessarily true. Right. That that's not the narrative. That's not the reason why it just didn't work out. And, um, you know, we can talk about why we think, um, Rodney was the first to go home on hometowns. Um, yeah. Well, I kind of want to go back to this idea of splitting and mm-hmm. kind of considering what's going on in someone's mind when that's happening. So mm-hmm. when I think of, you know, we typically think about splitting, we're thinking about the view of the other person, like they're good, or they're all good, or they're all bad, but we also can do it with ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. And so what that narcissistic defense is, it's kind of like, I'm all good, like I'm superior, I'm better um, than, um, and so what makes relationships tricky is, not only is there a perception of self going on, or um, yeah, kind of how you, you view yourself, um, but also how you how you view others and then that kind of interacting together um, as one. So um, in the case of Martin, it seemed like what was going on there was he was kind of pushing out all the the thoughts, the, the beliefs about himself, the unpleasant, um, I guess just like the painful aspects of himself, like I'm actually inferior, I'm not worthy, pushing those out of awareness and then only kind of staying with that really positive view of self. Um, and then kind of the, the opposite when he was viewing Michelle. Um, so it's kind of like kind of a bunch of processes going on at once, yeah. but it also it's like self-directed or self-focused, but also other focused at the same time. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else, you know, the other people that she's kind of uh, eliminated, even if it was kind of unser- unceremonious, I'm thinking like Jamie, other people. Or, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Chris S. <laughs> she walked out. Um, we didn't really have an opportunity to hear their monologue. I think we did with Jamie, but it was so long ago it's hard to access. I think he also said some. Yeah, similar... I think it was something else similar to Martin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Chris, I don't think. I mean, we heard a little bit from him, but um, but it is really interesting in those kind of limo exit videos that you can hear someone try to like verbalize their internal process yeah. as they're yeah. like dealing in the moment with something exactly painful um and you can hear them try to like make sense of it in the moment and yeah. protect themselves yeah exactly like you know in the case of martin maybe jamie it was kind of that preservation of self like i'm too good for her you know she wasn't worthy but then i'm having a memory of um i think it was the previous season was it or some a season before where someone was like, I'm never good enough, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I forgot who it was. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm always, like, overlooked. Yeah. But actually in, like, as they were eliminated. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the hard part with the core beliefs, especially. I think it was uh, Matt season. Term. I think it was Matt season. Uh, Somebody in Matt season, like, when they got eliminated. Mm. You do hear that a lot from Especially, I think, people who we end up seeing uh, again in Paradise. Who yeah, have, like, they're getting like a redemption story yeah, there. Yeah, they'll kind of 
<clears throat> another shot and get to learn that um, have this you know corrective emotional experience where they learn that they are enough but yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah, and just kind of thinking in the like the context of therapy, oftentimes it's like helping clients to kind of put those, maybe from a cognitive perspective, putting those core beliefs to test, you know, to the test. Mm-hmm. You know, like I am unworthy. I am, um, you know, no one wants me. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let's actually put that to the test. It's like maybe in the past you've had some things that have happened that, um, you know, when we consider all the evidence, it might have not just been your fault or you're the only reason. Um, and, you know, you have to help clients be create or help them create a career, you know, the, the, the motivation and the courage to go out and try again and to put yeah. these to the test and, and also, um, you know, let them know that things could go bad. And we have to exactly. re-examine why those things, if they do go bad, why things did go bad. Yeah, as a therapist, especially as an early therapist, Mm-hmm. One of the fears we always have is, what if yeah. I set up this <laughs> yeah. and instead of disconfirming yeah. some yeah. of the core belief, it confirms it. Yeah. What have I done? Right. Yeah. Like now I've, I've shown. Right? <laughs> the, the thing is, that's only part of the therapy. The exactly. Other half is okay. Even when things go wrong, you got through it. Yeah. So yeah. Like teaching them that, like, even you know that they have the the tolerance and the resilience yeah. to. Um, yeah. experience negative experiences and mm-hmm. emotions and um, persevere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of one of the, I think, a, a significant critique of like cognitive behavioral therapy or cognitive therapies is, um, you know, there's some things that are actually just true, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you put someone to try to test something that is true, like, is that just setting someone up for failure? But that's just like, that's just a critique and it's not necessarily like. Um, yeah, and I think the counter argument would be um, CBT is not about having a positive outlook. It's about having a realistic. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So maybe there is part of therapy that is yeah. understanding what is true. Yeah, and for sure. What, you know, is going to be hard for you. Yeah. And also being realistic about what, you know, is not always going mm-hmm. on. Um, yeah. And, you know, getting a balance there. Um, yeah, I mean, I can think there's a similar experience, um, with exposure therapy. Um, you know, I've had people who are working on, you know, fear hierarchies because they have a phobia. For example, I'm afraid of driving. And so you're kind of working, um, up the ladder of more and more exposure to the, you know, fearful stimulus. And um, sometimes people have like adverse experiences. Like sometimes, you know, they do have a panic attack or, you know, they do have like a fender bender or something like that. And so it's not, okay, this experiment failed. It's, well, you know, you were afraid you were gonna have a panic attack and you did and you survived. Yeah. So yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. And processing that. And yeah. that can actually sometimes be more helpful than everything going right. That's true. Time. Yeah, that's a really great point of just like, kind of reflecting on how they were able to tolerate their worst fear, like Mm -hmm. their worst fear coming true. I mean, I think another thing that I find helpful um, is not only talking about how they're able to tolerate it, but, you know, what could we do differently next time maybe that could make things different, but if possible, maybe not. Um, That's just another kind of added thing you could possibly do. 
or if this does go wrong again, now you know yeah, exactly. you can handle it. Mm -hmm. And do you feel better prepared? Do, yep. you, know, do you feel um, like you have some experience and you know that it's not going to be the end of the world? Or you know that because you're having a panic attack, that doesn't mean that you're actually dying. Yeah. Um, because you've had one and you've survived. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually, it's interesting when we're thinking about Rodney, too. Um, something I noticed in Rodney and Michelle's relationship, both in the breakup, but also on their apple picking date, um, is that they use a lot more process-oriented language than any of the other pairs. Um, so Michelle and Rodney share a lot of, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel this way, or when I'm with you, I feel like this. And that's a very um, therapy-specific <laughs> um, type of um, communication that mm -hmm. we don't often, you know, yeah. like employ in our day-to-day -day lives or in our relationships. Um, yeah. I was wondering what you thought about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, day-to-day, -day, we don't really communicate with people in that way. We usually keep it kind of surface level. We, um, just kind of talk about facts and, um, you know, things that have happened to us, but not necessarily what's happening in the moment. Yeah. And, you know, when clients come to therapy, especially clients who have haven't really had a lot of therapy or have had therapists in the past who really didn't employ, you know, use kind of process oriented um, interventions, it, it can be kind of disorienting or kind of throw them off or confuse yeah. them. Like there's a, I've had a lot of clients just like, you know, just sharing with them, like I'm noticing right now that, um, you know, as you're sharing that I'm feeling really, you know, scared or anything like that. And they're just like, what? <laughs> you know like what are you talking about i'm like right now like i'm literally experiencing this as you are sharing that right. and you kind of have to like outline what it is that you're yeah, trying yeah. to tell them through that through that um that language um but yeah it's it's very confusing for a lot of people and i mean even for someone who had been studying like therapy and um things like you know kind of clinical related um things before um yeah it's still like it's still really um, awkward and kind of um, anxiety provoking to, to do. Yeah. And it can, um, it can feel kind of daunting in the moment, especially when you notice something a little bit uncomfortable. Like if someone's getting kind of emotional and you make a process comment, like, yeah. you know, I, I see that you're tearing up as you say this, or, you know, it seems like this is hard for you to talk about. Yeah. Um, we do not do that mm -mm. typically, you know, in our day-to-day yeah. -day relationships yeah. outside of therapy. Yeah. And it can always feel a little bit um, daunting to, to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just not a natural way of reacting to things, but it often brings yeah. about, you know, a, a pretty emotional response and a, in a revelatory way, not like in an invasive way. Yeah, I mean, um. if, if you want to freak somebody out, just do that to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do remember, though, early on in our relationship. Whoa, you, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. What? I'm just saying, whoa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? I remember you said, like, can I make a process comment? I feel like I said talk that? about this a lot. I think it was even over text, like process comment. We're always talking about, like, whatever um <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's this going no it was just kind of like there's an example of two therapists dating right like can i uh comment on something that we're you know yikes discussing a lot um but outside of that we don't and you still happen. got with me 
and you still married me. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Oops. I notice as you say that, you feel uncomfortable. Uh, I'm all right. I'm <laughs> drinking beer, so it's all good. Um, yeah, and so I think we had talked a little bit offline about Rodney. As we were watching it, I did feel like they had a wonderful rapport with each other. Yep. They seemed to be very natural together. Yeah. Um, but there did feel like there was something missing. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my perception of what was happening as well. Yeah. So what's your perception? Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of go back to this idea of um, passionate love versus companionate love. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if we've talked about that before in other episodes. We probably have, but you know, passionate love being more, well, kind of passion, like, physical attraction um you can even say like lustful potentially <laughs> um and then we have the companionate love which is more like a i guess like almost like an agape love type thing or like a you love somebody as a person not necessarily like have sexual feelings towards mm -hmm. them and i think in rodney and michelle's relationship there was a lot of companionate kind of um love for each other and a lot of respect um for each other as a person but i think the attraction piece the the passionate kind of um love um on michelle's end was just kind of lacking um, yeah and you can hear her trying to work through that oh yeah for sure narration because she's she's fixated on this idea that you know her parents have told her that part of what makes their relationship work is that they're best friends yeah yeah and so she tries to kind of translate that as like well rodney could be my best friend yep but the thing is that's not the only thing mm -hmm. that makes their relationship yeah. work right? exactly there's also presumably romantic feelings and yeah. sexual attraction yep you know there are other aspects other than just being friends um and i think um, she is kind of trying to, you know, map what she's learned from her parents onto her relationship <laughs> yeah. with Rodney. If you want to use psych terms here, she has ex she's experiencing cognitive dissonance. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, on the one hand, I want somebody. At least I've kind of had this this belief that you you should marry or be with somebody who is you know who's going to be your best friend but also i want a partner who's a you know i'm attracted to physically um right. and she's trying to wrestle those things yeah i do think though what was kind of interesting is you could see over time i do think that her attraction to rodney did yeah. grow over yeah. time for sure and I think that's because, like, when we do admire someone or think they're a good person, the more that you kind of really like them as a person, the more attractive they become yeah, to you. Yeah, that worked in my favor in this case. <laughs> <laughs> With me, yeah. No, I thought you were the most attractive oh. I've ever seen. Oh, God. <laughs> and then I found that you're a great person. Oh, then man. I found that you were a great person. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I think it worked for me. You're like, who's this? <laughs> All right, moving on. But I think with Michelle and Rodney, yeah, like her feelings for him probably did grow over time. Yeah. She was like, he's such a great yeah. guy. Yeah. But the thing is, I think um, there are also romantic relationships where someone has a 
you know, romantic feeling or a sexual, you know, attraction, physical attraction to somebody. And that person is not necessarily their best friend. Obviously, yeah, they're yeah. compatible and they enjoy spending time together. But there are people who say, you know, my partner is not my best friend. And yeah. that's okay because somebody else can be my best friend. Yeah. But someone else shouldn't be my, you know, yeah. the person I have romantic that's, and feelings Yeah, especially for. if you're in a monogamous relationship. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're, you know, if you don't fall into that, that, that box, then... Yeah, I mean, it might not apply, but yeah. Right, and in that case, you may actually say, you know, this person fulfills my physical needs. Yeah. This person yeah. is my favorite person to hang out with. Exactly. This is my, you know, yep. person that I feel like gives me positive affirmation, or you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I think in our society, like you know, our culture here in the United States, there is this. Maybe it's maybe influenced by like Christianity. I'm not really sure, but just kind of this idea that your the person you marry should be kind of the only person you go to almost for everything like they should be all in one like a one mm-hmm. like the whole package i guess mm-hmm. i mean you kind of hear that like they're the whole package <laughs> um but like we were saying like that's not always the case and you know some people who don't even fit in the like the box of you know monogamy mm-hmm. yeah they might have some people who meet like their sexual needs some people who meet more of their romantic or emotional kind of needs and mm-hmm. social needs and mm-hmm. um yeah it's just maybe we're being a little pressured to kind of to try to find that like person who is the whole package well and something that i remember saying to you as we were watching the episode was i felt like if michelle had just met rodney in a bar yeah yeah i feel like they are actually probably the most compatible yeah could have had exactly relationship if he wasn't being put in comparison to the other three men, yeah yeah or, you know all the other guys there like if she and rodney had just been introduced i feel like especially if you had time to let those romantic feelings grow they could have had like a very strong relationship. yeah and not having these other op- options open well and when you're yeah. comparing your feelings of like you know i really just want to like rip Nate's shirt off, you know? <laughs> Whoa. Oh, um, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> then, you know, then you kind of realize, oh, this isn't yeah. at the same level it could be. But if you were not in, you know, comparing your feelings for somebody um, with your feelings for somebody else and you just allow them to kind of develop over time, yeah, I could see them, you know, having a very fulfilling relationship. Yeah, I mean, that seems kind of how real life tends to work. Like, you don't have to use kind of your your language. You don't have, like, 30 pots on the stove at once. You maybe have, like, one, two, maybe three. And so, you, yeah, you really get to know someone better. And you can, those feelings, I guess, can just, you know, develop and um, deepen potentially. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, if there isn't an initial, like, somewhat of an attraction i don't know that you would necessarily invest the time to yeah, find out if sure it yeah grow. yeah like there has to be some baseline something that you're interested yeah. in them exactly you know? yep um yeah because otherwise you wouldn't keep coming back. <laughs> um yeah well so we kind of talked about how rodney now is this they have this friendship connection um, the companionate love, not as much the romantic or, or physical um, mm. aspect. 
Um, let's talk about the other hometowns now. So we have Brandon, <laughs> Nate, and Joe. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Do you have any questions? Nope. <laughs> Do you have any questions? Nope. <laughs> so that was this Joe's impression of Joe Coleman and his father. His father, Mr. Coleman. Um, I, that was my favorite part of the entire season. <laughs> Literally just sat next to each other, said nothing to each other. So, yes, this was a very, like, very comical and kind of extreme uh, representation of a lot of, I think, what you were saying is, like, male, male bonding. Right. Yeah, it's just funny because, like, I see, I don't know, maybe on Twitter, yeah, probably Twitter, even Instagram, like, memes of, like, you know, people will, especially, like, uh, women will post, like, how is it that guys can, like, hang out for hours and not say a word to each other and like still be best friends like they literally just sit next to each other and do nothing like just maybe just sit and like have a football game on and they're like these people are best friends it's like how does that happen and it happens it's a thing i can i can attest to that (laughs) yeah i can think of even recently we were out at a bar presumably to like watch a football or basketball game or something um but we're also talking the entire time and next to us, I pointed out, there was this group of four guys yep, yep. who were all there to watch the game, and they were just sitting there, watching, slowly sipping a beer, not saying anything. Yep. I'm like, why did you even get together? You could have done this alone. <laughs> but it's not the same. It's not the same. You just, you just don't understand. <laughs> so, what, so just the presence of having someone there, what does that do? That, I mean, this is kind of the basis. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even if you're saying nothing, is powerful. Exactly. Yeah. There's some just still like nonverbals or like, I don't know. Just also, it just, I mean, it's not that you don't talk. You just like don't talk about very deep things usually. It's more of like, oh, did you see that? That touchdown from this other game? Or did you hear about this person who did this really amazing thing um yeah it's yeah but there's just not a lot of like in like really deep conversations it's really just more superficial or um maybe even just a lot of silence right so not only is not only are men not employing process comments in their oh definitely not really talking about anything actually happening, happening. yeah exactly yeah um whereas i think at least i don't want to make really heteronormative like stereotype generalizations here so i'm gonna try to keep this like based in my personal experience because yeah. i'm not that familiar with like the research on this but um i would say at least in my experience with my girlfriends there are some people who are um who i have more surface level relationships with who yep. maybe you get together and you watch something together and you talk about that thing yep and actually i thought about that though with michelle and rodney that they have this ongoing kind of like shtick about apples and it reminded me of relationships i've had in the past where you have a very like context specific relationship mm-hmm. with somebody like you work together yeah or you watch the same show and you talk about that thing all the time and once that is removed, there isn't much yeah. underneath that. So 
when you quit that job or that show <laughs> ends, like there's really yeah. nothing to keep the relationship going and it kind of naturally dissolves. Um, and I thought about that with the Apple thing. I'm like, is there more though? Like, is there more <laughs> that talking about? Yeah. And I do think Michelle and Rodney like were having, you know, at least they were talking about the relationship itself. Yeah, that's. But you did kind of. I got the sense of like, okay, how long is this like running joke gonna go, and what else are you gonna talk about? Like, do you have any other things you actually relate? Yeah. On. Um. And so, <laughs> all that to say, I guess when I'm with my girlfriends, we will talk about like our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um. Not all the time. Not like exclusively. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, like, oh, how's this relationship going? Or you know, how. Um. Are you doing okay with, you know, whatever is going on in, you know, someone's life? Um, and <laughs> for Joe, it seemed extremely foreign for them to talk about really, really anything in Joe's life. Like, he's <laughs> on in this bizarre, like, situation where he's on a reality show. And Dad, I mean, there's no, like, assumption or, like you know, um, expectation that Joe's dad has to ask, like, what are your feelings like for Michelle? He could just be like, how's it been going? And he doesn't even ask that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally not a single question. Not even just like, what's it like to be on TV or something? Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah. I kind of want to just, I don't know. I kind of want to just, well, pull in in a a psych concept of the uh, fundamental attribution error. This idea that um, we tend to base our judgments on people, like when we see them do something based on their character mm-hmm. and don't really consider the, all the, the factors outside of them that may be um, influencing their behavior. Whereas when it comes to us, we, we tend to have more uh, you know, information. We, we consider everything else going on around us and, and it helped to explain our own or justify our own behavior. But I was just thinking like with Joe and his dad, like, you know, we could say like, Oh, you know, it's their personality. They're really introverted. Maybe they're just really shy, but also like there's probably like 20 cameras around them. And it's like, how much was that playing into it? And, um, but non- nonetheless, it was still pretty funny. <laughs> it was still a really funny moment. Um, and, you know, I would put my money on it that, temperamentally they're both just um very similar people and Mm -hmm. are just more reserved and um Mm -hmm. you know don't really talk very much yeah absolutely we also talked a little bit offline about how um someone like rodney and his mom who's very emotionally expressive they're able to or it it comes more naturally to them to talk about their feelings or their concerns about each other or whatever that may be, whereas in some of the other relationships, you see, you know, the contestant and the family member kind of dancing around yeah, this idea. Yeah, like They're trying to exactly. ask, like, you know, how strong are your feelings for Michelle or how are, you know, but instead, because that's an uncomfortable, direct thing to ask, they try to ask something that will give them a signal to that. So, like, yeah. are you ready to propose? Mm-hmm. Is a way of saying like, is this serious? Are you in love? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. um, they'll ask kind of other questions <clears throat> that don't quite hit at the question they're trying to answer, but seem yeah. more like 
socially acceptable to ask? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about my own kind of interactions with, um, well, men versus women. And when it comes to, you know, with men, it's generally very superficial. We don't really even talk about much uh, relationships, you know, relationship about relationships at all. Um, and then when, when it comes to my experience, you know, talking with women, um, I just reflecting now, I'm like, I kind of do that. Like, I'll kind of dance around it like, oh, do you guys, are you guys planning on moving in? Or, uh-huh. um, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, just like, kind of like that. And it's not really like asking the question, a more direct question would be like, how are you feeling about your relationship? Or do you love this person? Or what are your feelings you know about this person like i avoid in in, in my personal conversations with people whereas as like a therapist and you know the person we are as a therapist versus the person we are as a person outside of it it's it's not always the same i mean there's definitely some overlap but um i feel much more um well it's not that i feel much more um confident well a little bit but it's more of like this is more important to uh, explore with clients because this is well this is why they're here and oftentimes it could be a part of the, the problems that they're experiencing. So I have to put my anxieties and my fears aside mm-hmm. and just do what I think might be best in that moment and maybe ask a direct question like that. But on a personal level, it's really difficult and I often find myself not doing it. Yeah, that's a yeah really wonderful illustration of that. I feel like it's not that I'm not the same person that I am as a therapist because I am one of my core yeah. values mm-hmm. as a therapist is being genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just being, you know, myself in the room. Mm-hmm. But also if you're a kind of um, somewhat emotionally intelligent person, you also know, like you, you tailor your behavior to the context. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't think it's like disingenuous. Yeah. That. No. Um, you know, I'm not asking process questions of my friends, but that's just not really the appropriate. Um, yeah, not at all. For that. Yeah. Whereas in therapy, you know, the cliched co- therapy question of like, how does that make you feel? That actually is important to yeah. ask, right? Yeah. And that's something that perhaps their friends are not asking them. And yeah. it's important that somebody does that. For sure. Them. Yeah. Um, and as therapists, you know, we're humans too, but we have to kind of put aside, yeah, just kind of any... Um, you know, anxiety, ambivalence when it comes to just kind of, you know, throwing it out there. Right. And there are some process questions or comments too that are perhaps something you wouldn't necessarily share with your friend because you don't want to push them. Yeah. Whereas in therapy, sometimes that is part of the work. Yeah. Sometimes it is pointing out, you know, I feel like you're avoiding talking about this or it feels like you want me to rescue you. Those types of really difficult process comments yeah. that get at like noticing. It also it also is a way of showing the client like I'm tracking I'm every yeah paying attention you, yeah. Like, I see you yeah. Um, I'm really listening and tracking and exactly processing everything you're saying. Yeah. 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 Confrontation. Um, you know as a therapist you have to do it it's just like you know it's a part of the job and it's really uncomfortable and um it's just not something we do outside of it very rarely do we do it unless you're a more disagreeable person but even the way the confrontation that happens it's it's not that it's aggressive it's just more like you're 
well, pointing things out that might be contributing to a, a problem that they're that they're yeah. seeking help for. Exactly. Right. And it seems like if we shy away from that, sometimes we're actually doing the client a disservice. Exactly. Um, because somebody in their life is supposed to. Mm-hmm. That's why they're coming to us. Exactly. To help us kind of notice patterns that they may not mm-hmm. um, be able to kind of notice in their own lives. Yep. Um, and yeah, that can be a natural. And I think a lot of therapists, especially early on struggle with this because a lot of people go into a profession like <laughs> psychology or yeah. health or something like that because we're helpers <laughs> we are people pleasers yeah and it's very difficult to kind of um to unlearn some of that like always trying to be agreeable or always trying to be supportive or validating yeah, yeah. Or placate all yeah. the time like sometimes yeah. you do have to um, challenge someone and um, and those you know we've talked on the podcast before about therapeutic ruptures and sometimes those are really cathartic um, for the relationship yeah and that's not that you're challenging them for the sake of challenging them it's not what I'm saying at all because I know for myself I'm a very conflict averse yeah yeah same so this is something that I always struggle with is yeah pointing out something uncomfortable it doesn't necessarily I mean it gets a little bit easier but it's still against yeah. the natural tendency for sure but sometimes it's like if I don't say this right now I'm glossing over something and I'm not actually helping them yeah you know get any deeper mm-hmm. or um you know I, I'm actually doing them a disservice by kind of just smoothing things over and yeah exactly yeah i i too am very naturally (laughs) conflict averse and so yeah it can be really uncomfortable um when we think about going back to the big five uh theory of personality Mm -hmm. that that kind of broad domain of um agreeableness right Mm -hmm. some people are more agreeable and some people are more disagreeable and um i think that can you know that really plays into maybe how comfortable you feel about confronting people mm-hmm. um but also just because you're more disagreeable say doesn't mean necessarily that your confrontations are going to be more effective because there is a possibility that um the tone in which you use or um you know just kind of the bodily you know the kind of the the bodily language i guess that that you're you're using maybe not really fully aware of it can um may backfire and also if you're you know really agreeable yeah, I mean that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean you you will be ineffective. Um, yeah, I mean even even I think in my experience, to, since I am very um, I'm more agreeable, I think it has more of an impact on patients mm-hmm. when I do do something like that because it's so. You know, I think it it, it it's a little bit jarring and a little surprising, but also it's like wait this may be important to consider yeah. versus if I was just kind of being really disagreeable or confrontational a lot of the time. Yeah. Time. Or yeah. Then it's like, Oh, this doesn't really stand out very much, yeah. but that's just been my experience. That's not, um, you know, not trying to generalize here. Just kind of my experience. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I was also thinking as you were talking about, um, our relationship as an example of one where, you know, we're both conflict averse, so we're never going to yeah. have like a, you know, blow up or something like that but that can be something that like when both partners are that way yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 and so actually i feel like that's where our training as a therapist does come into play in a helpful way in which i 
feel more comfortable saying, you know, when you do this, it makes me feel this way rather than like, stop doing that. Or, yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. And, and that is impactful to you because again, like, and vice versa, because we aren't like that all the time. Yeah. So if you take anything from this episode and this podcast in general, do not marry a mental health professional. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're great. <laughs> yeah so no one has to deal with our bullshit yeah we took ourselves out of yeah we took ourselves out of the pool here yeah we're all just doing you all a favor not having to deal with our insufferable therapy speak all the time um so that actually is a good segue into let's talk about nate moment of catharsis here yeah so nate um the people who come to his hometown are his mother and um his stepfather who are recently divorced we learn they have divorced within the past year but um stepdad is still seems like very involved in nate's life um and had been a part of his life for a long time i think nate's probably late 20s and Mm-hmm. The stepdad mentioned like something about being in his life since either ninth grade or four, 14, somewhere around. Yeah. There. So probably yeah. like half of his life. Mm, like mid adolescence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Nate is talking about how he has really never shared any emotions at all with his family. That his family is very. Um, I don't want to say surface level, but they just don't talk about how they're feeling. Yeah. So as we were saying earlier, they may kind of like dance around mm-hmm. um, feelings. They may kind of ask more of like behaviorally oriented questions, but they're not asking each other how they feel. They're not expressing love verbally, even though they clearly understand that they love each other. Yeah. And so can you take us through kind of what, Nate's experience with his stepdad is. Let's see. What do I remember? Um, I remember Nate was kind of sharing about his experiences Mm -hmm. with Michelle and how he's become more open and and able to kind of express what he's he's feeling and um, just kind of sharing, yeah, just sharing about that experience with him and then kind of pointing out how it's been difficult up to that point and that he's kind of learning something about himself as he's done this that he's he is capable of doing it and um in a lot of ways it it kind of feels good for him you know it's uh uh you know if you've been so constricted for so so long um you know you can finally just kind of be open and um it seems like he nate experienced it as a positive experience and so he was sharing with that and then compared that to how he used to interact with this stepfather and he kind of just shared like, yeah, I don't think I've ever even told you I love you. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, he was just kind of pointing that out that he's always struggled with that. And um, now he's had this, the shift and yeah, he, he likes to see that in himself. Mm-hmm. This moment, this exchange between me and his stepdad um, no surprise, made me cry. <laughs> I mean, as I, as you say that, I noticed that you're crying right now. <laughs> I know, it was so moving. <laughs> so, I, I was like getting teared up. Just reflecting on it. Oh my God. So, Nate, yeah. <laughs> 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 Woo, take a breath. Okay, so Nate 
shares with his stepdad, you know, I don't think I've ever told you that I love you and how much you mean to me. And yeah. he says, um, the thing that really got me was he said, you know, I love my biological dad, but I want to be a dad to someone someday. And I want to be to my children who you yeah. are to me. Mm-hmm. That was the moment that really got me of kind of saying like, Whoever is the person who is like the biological dad is not necessarily the model of fatherhood. And yeah. This is his model for what yeah. parenting is. It's awesome. And that was just the way that he was able to like articulate that in a very emotional moment, I thought was really um, remarkable. Yeah. And his stepdad receives it so well. Like he was just so fervent. Yeah. Like, you know, I love you too. I can't believe, like, he basically said, like, I've been honored to be a part of your life for so long. Never think that I don't love you. I think about you all the time. And he said, you know, when Nate shared, like, I want to be kind of like the dad that you were to me, he says, you'll be even better than me. Yeah. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. And he says, like, you know, it's amazing to think that the kid that I met um, when I married your mom is is this grown adult now. Very, very grown. (laughs) (laughs) A little, a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And he shares a lot of love for him and his brother and his ex-wife. Yeah. It seems like they have a very um, respectful Mm -hmm. relationship and still mean a lot. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just kind of like going back. I don't Also, I don't remember if we've, we've covered this, but, um, when we're talking about Joe and and his dad and kind of how there's this, you know, not to generalize, but when, when men interact with men, you know, there's not really a lot of conversation or it's very superficial. Um, But it's not that, it's not that men don't show love. Um, And I was thinking about the love languages kind of um, when I was thinking about that and, you know, just thinking about my own um, love language, um, and a lot of other men is, is, yeah, it's the acts of service. You know, we're doing things and it, we may not use our words to express it, um, but just kind of our actions. And sometimes that can be difficult to um, kind of pick up that that's happening, mm-hmm. right? Because it can, might just seem kind of mundane or yeah. um, just kind of easily just glossed over. Um, whereas, you know, like, women you know or at least in our relationship it's more of like the words you know the the um uh affirmations yeah so yeah i was just thinking about with nate you know his stepdad and you know they haven't really had the the kind of the verbal verbalization of it but it seems like they were able to acknowledge as they were verbalizing it that there was kind of the acts of service right Mm -hmm. these these things that that stepfather exactly the thing that the stepfather did for him um the things that he did for him yeah right exactly the things that nate understood as he's doing this because he loves exactly exactly yeah you know and i love you yeah yeah (laughs) um exactly it was so touching really really a wonderful um i i was just so glad that that was captured yeah it was great how powerful yeah and i thought you know wonderful for them that this moment is captured on film you know i think a lot of reality tv can feel kind of invasive or a little bit exploitative but in this way i think you know they can always go back to this and they have on film this like the first
first time I said I love you, and that could be really, I mean, that's something I would hold on to. Um, I don't think <laughs> I was holding it. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I, 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 I agree with that, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, <laughs> we were talking about, you know, these moments in therapy where we have um, emotional catharsis. Maybe we are able to put into words feelings that we haven't had the, the space to really articulate before. Um, and so with Nate, I, what I think is kind of interesting about this whole experience is the question that emerges is, is Nate ready for a marriage? She said is three times in a row. But, um... <laughs> Is Nate ready for marriage? And his own stepfather, who doesn't have this wonderful exchange of him, says, you know, I don't think uh, he's ready. Uh, no. But <laughs> I think what's interesting about that is we can see this, uh, there's a Maybe looking at that, you could think, you know, he's ready for marriage because he's able to, you know, verbalize his feelings. He um, said, I love you to stepdad. And so he is, you know. He's ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Right? He's ready to go. But actually, right. So in therapy, um, someone might have a moment of emotional catharsis. Right? And that does not mean the therapy is done. That's kind of where the work begins, actually, right? So yeah. you have this moment of like, aha, actually, I feel this way about something. Yep. And then the work is, okay, what do you do with that? Yep. What happens after that? Exactly. How do we see this through? And I think for Nate, he's still at the phase of initial kind of, he says, like, I feel in love with someone for the first time. And his stepdad kind of wisely points out, like, okay, well, love the feeling is different from marriage, marriage yes yeah right like yep. there's a difference between how you feel and yeah. what you do with that feeling yeah and are you ready to devote yourself to one person because yeah. you have this feeling for <laughs> the first time yeah and i think it's very valid to say like have we seen okay so now what what does yeah. that mean yeah we just can't marry every person we fall in love with you know <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's just true. That yeah. We love multiple people over yeah. the course of our lifetime. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that everything else aligns to the point where you feel ready to. Yeah. There's a lot that. of factors at play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was another question I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were talking about uh, breakups earlier, I think we wanted to talk briefly about termination yeah so we're talking now with nate like okay he has this catharsis now the work begins right he has to understand what to do with that feeling how to kind of operationalize it in his relationship and eventually when does the therapy end right so at some point the point of therapy is not to be in therapy forever um at least there are different theoretical perspectives on that but as clinical psychologists we work with someone with a DSM diagnosis, right? There's a disorder that we're kind of trying to treat. And when we feel like there's been enough symptom remission, symptom yeah, or whatever, we terminate. That does not mean that you don't come back. A lot of people will need a kind of a tune up at some point. Yeah. Um, 
that's completely fine. We also work with people depending on the setting. We may see people who don't necessarily meet criteria for a disorder, but maybe they have something going on in their life and eventually that, you know, we've worked through that thing. Um, and then there are other people who do do long-term therapy, just kind of working through, especially if you do have a disorder that's more personality-based, um, or if you just, you know, are kind of working through something really difficult, it may take a long time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, at some point, the, the goal is for you to no longer be in therapy. And so um, termination is kind of the, the term that we use to describe the last The breakup. Session. Yep. The yeah. last session between the therapist and the Yeah. Client. Yep. Um, so... What, are, what do you want to talk about in terms of termination yeah. of that and how that's similar to a breakup? Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I'm thinking about the therapeutic relationship, there can be um, the, a development of really deep, intense feelings um, in both directions, right? Therapist for the patient, patient for the therapist. And, um, you know, oftentimes there's like a significant bonding that occurs, an attachment and coming, I guess, from more of a psychodynamic or kind of attachment lens, it's like the way that the client attaches to you or interacts with you is a reflection of early experiences. And you, if that's, you know, something that is problematic or, or is causing problems, then, you know, you're trying to shift that, trying to bring awareness to it, uh, yeah, bring awareness to it and then trying to shift that in some ways by um, reworking it in the therapy room. But there's intense development, development of intense emotions. Um, you know, there's a significant attachment and when there's a s separation or a split, it kind of brings up very similar feelings, at least in uh, my experience. And what I've, yeah. what I've learned is that, you know, it, it feels like a loss. It feels like, um, abandonment in some, in some ways and in, in, in some cases, and that's really painful. Just diagnostic the, pathology, yeah. the person you, or the client, you may have to kind of do a lot of pre-termination work around what is yeah, yeah. going to, you know, how are you going to work through exactly. the fact that we are separating. Mm -hmm. And that is a thing that is a good thing, but it's going to feel bad. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And I think what's really hard in our field is there are some terminations where we have the pleasure of kind of celebrating you know look you don't need therapy anymore it's almost like this kind of graduation right like you get a diploma <laughs> right like yeah you know you no longer meet criteria for disorder. you're cured <laughs> we never use cure i know right? i'm just saying it's a yeah um because inevitably there may be something that yeah um, reignites you know issues or symptoms in the future but you know it's no longer um necessary that you come and yeah pay us um, right? it saves you a lot of money <laughs> yeah, but more importantly it's kind of like you came in for this problem and this problem doesn't seem to be necessarily a problem anymore a yeah in yeah life anymore yeah um and so sometimes what people come in for is not ultimately where the work lies right that happens a lot of the time yeah for the, the the client 
client's perception of what the kind of presenting problem is may be different from eventually the therapist's conceptualization of what the problem is. And so sometimes it's a little less clear cut than, you know, what we're kind of boiling it down to here. But there are situations where it is like, you know, you're doing great. Let's celebrate you and talk about how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And the termination feels celebratory. Yeah. And then I think what's even, what's, what's really difficult is when terminations are planned, but they're not necessarily like clinically indicated. Mm-hmm. And so in my experience, I worked for two years in a college counseling center and you did as well. Yep. Sometimes it's just the semester, semester is over. Right. Yeah. If you're going on summer break and I'm going on summer break and I'm not coming back. Um, and those are really hard because you're still in the thick of the work and you're in the thick of the therapeutic relationship and how important that is. And it's like this arbitrary um, reason why you have to terminate. And that can be really painful. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can mm-hmm. reflect on your experience with that as well. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think as student you know we're in training and um yeah we really don't there's a lot of things that are out of our control right now and yeah our our work with clients is often limited like we get to spend some time with them and then we have to move on and um that makes it difficult for sure yeah i had a client um i'm at a community mental health center now and i had a client who um we had our initial session maybe two weeks ago or so and she was saying you know i have had two therapists go on maternity leave how long will you be here with me yeah you know i mean it's a fair question yeah Yeah. there is a sense of like abandonment like i start sharing myself with somebody and they just leave yeah you know and that can be really difficult yeah Um, yeah things feel really unresolved Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think on both ends, patients and therapists. Yeah. And I think termination is one of those things that we um, we don't really talk about enough. Like how early you need to start talking or thinking about um, how soon, like if you do have a date where you're leaving, like you need to start talking about, you know, what what to expect in termination like pretty early because it feels like you know a breakup in a way and um i was gonna ask you <clears throat> i can kind of share my experience like have you ever cried in a termination or had a pretty emotional response to one yeah huh um i really haven't had a lot of opportunities for that um because in my first practicum <clears throat> Well, I've had a few, like in, at the master's level, I had some clients I worked with for some time and was able to terminate kind of when I was, you know, finished um, with like the semester. But my first doctoral level practicum, things got disrupted by COVID. So I, a lot of the terminations really weren't terminations. I mean, we had to terminate, but I didn't get to meet with them. There was very few people, very few clients that actually had like a okay, this is actually the last session we'll have. It was maybe like two or three clients. It wasn't very many of, of the caseload I had at the time. Um, 
and then my next year I was just doing assessment work. So that's, you know, you see a person for like half a day and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now um, I'm at a private practice and now I have that opportunity. So um, it's actually coming up for me, I would say soon, you know, the next couple of months that I'll actually have, you know, opportunities, multiple opportunities for that. So, and the few that I've had, I wouldn't say I like full on like cried or anything. It was more of like a oh yeah, teary eyed or like, you know, you feel like yeah, it's sad to say goodbye to somebody. Um, and, but also there's like this celebratory kind of um, aspect to it of like, Hey, look how far you've come and like, how great things are going. And um, yeah, I mean, just kind of conflicting emotions in that way. Um, sad and kind of happy, I guess all at the same time. Um, yeah. And so yeah, I, that's kind of been my experience and it's been limited. So, um, I can report back to you. (laughs) Yeah. I have experienced really, um, really impactful terminations, both as a client and as a therapist. Um, and I think, you know, I was telling you offline earlier, I still think about my termination with a psychologist I was seeing um, for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. was the the therapist who I had the best rapport with. Yeah. Um, if anyone listening lives in the Washington, D.C. area, DM me and I will give you Woo! the name of the best psychologist. <laughs> um, but she really, she got me through some really, really, really difficult stuff, including the most kind of... Wait, therapists do therapy? um including this really really difficult breakup actually that i had gone through and she saw me through some really really dark experiences and um and it was kind of circumstantial in a good way in that i was moving here to indianapolis to pursue and look at you now What would she do? Yeah, what would yeah. she do in this situation? What would she say? And um, I remember, you know, crying. We hugged, and mm-hmm. um, oh man, now I'm getting teary again. <laughs> That's a rough episode. <laughs> she She's said, going through it right now, guys. <laughs> she said, you know, you can always email me and let me know how you're doing, like what you're up to, which I've. Um, it's something I always think about and keep putting off because I feel like there's so much I want to share and I don't even know where to start in a way. Um, but I remember also like walking out onto the street and feeling the same feeling I felt like in a breakup where you just feel gutted. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm never going to see this person again. Or yep. I'm always going to want to tell her things and I can't talk to her anymore. And that kind of like cold turkey, you know, we've talked about that Um I think we talked about that in like our paradise episode of like how you feel this like these withdrawal symptoms in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. That I had time an hour with her every week was often something that got me through a week. Yeah. Knowing like I have this space, I have this time, and I have you know this person who really like cares about me, and having that cut off suddenly it was like very gutting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it was really hard. And I think about that a lot, like, with my clients, too. I've had really, really emotional terminations, especially with clients who I had the privilege of seeing for, like, two years um, because I was able to stay at the same college counseling center for two years. And um, just very, very emotional on both ends, you know, of, wow, like, you know, thinking about all of the things that have happened in a person's life that we've processed together over the course of two years. It's a lot. Yeah. It's pretty Um, significant. It's very significant to think like I sat with this person through everything and for them too, I think the same experience of, you know, uh, here I am and, you know, my therapist has been with me this whole time. Um, yeah. So, I think, you know, terminations are really, they can be really celebratory. And if you don't have a particularly deep connection with your therapist, they may be less consequential, but they can also be really significant events. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a good perspective on that. Um, anything you want to add about termination? Um, I was just thinking about. Um, clients that I've had where you know what brought them in was loss you know kind of like you were sharing about your own experience and you know the ultimate loss is death Um, and working with clients who are grieving and then knowing that there's going to be another loss for them at the end of this right and kind of exploring with them that with them earlier um, and then that really being a focus closer to the end. Um, whereas maybe with other clients, it is a focus, but not nearly maybe as, it might not be as, um, I don't know, the, the word important not right, but just like as re- relevant, I don't know. But yeah, I think when it comes to like grieving death, it's like after this we won't see each other and it's very similar to when someone passes like you don't ever see them again um so yeah i think it's especially important i guess like message that i'm kind of like telling myself i guess in this moment is it's really important to make sure that that is adequately addressed closer to the end especially with clients who are seeking services for that for those reasons Yeah. His heart of hearts, yeah. he was not going to be the one at the end, but that didn't change the way that he felt about Michelle. Yeah. That's what he said, and I think, you know, even when you know a termination is coming, it doesn't necessarily... Like you just stop coming to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, a really, really impactful termination that I had, um, one where I cried the most as a therapist. Um, Wait, therapists cry? <laughs> Um, <laughs> try not to all the time <laughs> that is part of being genuine um, and uh, <laughs> I actually remember this is so goofy I remember in the session saying I'm glad I weren't waterproof <laughs> fashion icon everybody <laughs> if you need any tips tips and tricks on your latest makeup designs and styles hit up Sarah <laughs> 
<laughs> that is the takeaway from today's episode. Absolutely, like ridiculous. In the next session, that inevitably starts two minutes later. Just show up. Just show up and look like a raccoon. But you know, going full circle to a discussion about defenses, one of the strongest defenses is denial. And I knew this was going to be a really rough termination because we had been together for two years and. And so pretty early on, I kept saying, you know, we have this many sessions left. We really should talk about, like, what termination is going to be like. You know, I bring it up every session. And, you know, I had shared with her I wouldn't be back the following year. And, um, you know, uh, would share that. Um, And I remember, like, getting down to the wire and being like, you know, um, termination's coming up. We should talk about what that might be like, et cetera. The week before, saying, you know, next week is our last session together. And we, you know, we're in that session, and we get to the termination kind of stuff, and, you know, I say, you know, this is our last session together, and she's like, you know, we're not, you're not coming back? I'm like, no, which we had definitely talked about before. And it was just instantly this, like, very, very, very strong reaction that we both had. And it was kind of that defense like crumbling in real time yeah like oh this is actually real this is actually happening. yeah have to deal with it yeah the there's there's no more denying it exactly yeah. like yeah the yeah um the defense had kind of had fallen there um and joseph is giving me the signal that it's time to terminate this episode <laughs> <So>. <laughs> there is a football game going on at the moment okay <laughs> and i will sit in silence <laughs> <laughs> i will <laughs> Yes. Who do you think going home? Um, I guess it's Brandon. I agree with you. And also, I don't think there's going to be a windmill situation. <laughs> no. I put a hundred. I put a. Uh, put a hundred dollars on that. <laughs> All right. So we have things we wanted to talk about about um, kind of what Joe and Nate represent and differences, but we will get to that next week yeah our, yeah they should be is correct that it comes down to them yeah i think it i think it is gonna still we'll still be able to have that conversation is my guess yes i would think so um all right well thank you everyone for being with us through this emotional roller coaster of an episode <laughs> um uh happy hanukkah happy belated thanksgiving happy upcoming christmas merry christmas um all of the things and keep processing yep